0: The
1: cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. I feel like I've fully regressed to middle school again. I can't go out to parties or bars. I have this weird mask acne that I don't know what to do with. And I also don't know how to be around other people. Like the other day after the election results were announced, I was dancing in the street, and then suddenly I was gripped with this panic of like, wait a minute, how do I do small talk again? This time at home has really been a moment to tap into all my old anxieties. But for two different writers, Cassie David and Zoe Lister-Jones, being total anxious weirdos and looking back at their pasts, have helped them channel their latest projects. Producer and fellow anxious weirdo B.A. Parker is going to take it from here.
0: For the uninitiated, Kazzy is the daughter of comedy legend Larry David and environmentalist Lori David. I mean, your dad is a, is a prominent dude. And a prominent dude <laughs> and i think everyone can feel like they know him but like they don't yeah. but the way you, the way you would write his voice i'd be like that's so larry <laughs> but he'll get, he'll pop up and then you'd be like yep that sounds like larry
2: that's great yeah no, he was fun to write because people already do have the context of who he is um and so it was it took less effort to write about him or explain him. My family's like every person in it is just like the highest extent of
0: neurotic possible. And
2: it just like it it definitely lends itself to good comedy, in my opinion.
0: Cassie's book, No One Asked for This, opens with an actual psychological evaluation from when she was twelve years old.
2: I put this evaluation in the beginning of the book. It has like a description of me that's like, I love because basically it was someone's job to write about how flawed my personality was rather than me writing about it. And it's just so clear. And in it, it says like Kazi often, like Kazi's dad says, she often says things that make no sense. And like <laughs> the reason I put the evaluation in is because like, you know, it's such a clear display of how someone doesn't change over time, no matter what you know, happen to them or how much they grow. And I still often hear myself saying things and I'm like, that makes just no sense at all. Like no one's going to be able to understand what I'm saying.
0: I have a lot of anxiety myself and I'm always afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing. So it was nice to finally talk to someone with the exact same feeling times a hundred.
2: Writing is very
0: much different than, than speaking. This is
2: This is not like I'm uniquely unsuited
0: to do this. Is this like weird exposure therapy for you?
2: It is. It's like, you know, you think about whether or not like all of this, this entire book tour, it's like really interesting because it's like, how do you do a book tour if you have an anxiety disorder? It's like you can suppress it by like taking meds and like, you know, hope for the best, even though like your heart's probably still going to be like beating out of your chest, even like on Xanax but then do you say the wrong things because you were like on medication and then what do you have to blame except for yourself, you know? So yeah. it's either exposing yourself to it or suppressing it and both can be the wrong decision.
0: It, it can be like a, uh, a weird situation, especially when because what you write is so personal and so a part of you and then you're forced to like have a conversation with a jerk like me and have to rehash the things that you thought you probably had settled with the book.
2: No, it's that you have to have a conversation with a jerk like me and then and and then figure out what you're gonna do with it. Like I who knows what how you're gonna make this into something, <laughs> truly.
0: It's gonna be fine.
2: I love that I've made you fully reassured. This is what I do with all my friends and <laughs> I make everyone who's talking to me
0: reassure me that like everything is gonna be fine. And so what do two ladies with diagnosed social anxiety talk about? TikTok has arranged it so that I just look at um burly sensitive Canadian men. It's so interesting. Like everyone has something different that they see. None of us
2: are seeing the same thing.
0: What is your algorithm?
2: I'm shown, like, really depressed single girls who are, like, complaining about boys. A lot of, like, um, the worst, just, like, most vapid celebrities that exist. I-, I go on it to, for like, to make me feel better about the fact that I'm, like, in a body. Like, to just disassociate. To forget that I'm, like, a person. So it's essentially to make me feel better. But then you get off of it and you don't even know, like, who you are, or where you are, or, like, how old you are.
0: Although in the summer of 2018... Cassie wasn't able to obliterate her sense of self in celebrity gossip, because she had been dating comedian Pete Davidson for two and a half years, and one day he dumped her over text. The next day, suddenly, it was all over social media. He was now dating the most famous pop star on the planet, Ariana Grande. I mean, I'm I am a an outsider but also a person who just was inundated by pop culture Mm -hmm. and was like also sick of seeing it (laughs) just as a a person in the world who was just trying to go through my timeline in peace. I can only guess that someone who had an emotional connection to that exposure must've been um, draining.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, for any breakup, You know, you, if you aren't famous and you are in a new relationship and you have, you know, you were just in another relationship or whatever it is, and you, you know, try to be as respectful as possible. You have the power to keep certain things private and not hurt other people or be be sensitive, um, famous or not. And so I think that's like an important. And for me, it was like an important takeaway that people are really fragile and you like are in control of like how certain things can affect others. But that's, yeah, it's, it's an amplified, it's definitely amplified because the same thing could have happened to, you know, a couple who isn't well-known could have done that. And it would have been just as hurtful for someone who they were just with,
0: you know what I mean? In one of Kazzy's essays, called Erase Me, Kazzy talks about what it feels like to see your ex all over the tabloids while never mentioning his name. But in a weird way, you don't need to know his name. It's not about fame. It's really about what heartache looks like in real time. And it's messy. A whole section of the essay involves her sobbing on the bathroom floor of an airplane, at a graduation party, on vacation and no one knows how to respond.
2: That was one of the essays in the book that I had written like during every moment that I'd actually was experiencing it. Um, I, there wasn't a lot of, there was a lot of going back to it. So I could edit out, you know, anything I wasn't comfortable with, but I really did write. I was writing it every single day with no intention of doing anything with it, but I did. Yeah. I was writing it like while I was experiencing it, which is why I think it's like kind of visceral because Usually when you get to go back to something you 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 do have the perspective of feeling like, you know, you've grown and you're over it and you can write from a place of like stability. And I I wasn't writing it from from that place at all.
0: <laughs> it's also a terrible thing to compare it to. Have you ever seen like Twilight New Moon?
2: It's one of the best breakup movies that there is.
0: You in the bathroom just reminded me of the montage where she's sobbing yeah. to leaky lee. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, someone needs to sedate her. What is going on?
2: I feel like that's something like TikTokers would really make fun of now. Um, but I like, as I said, there's like so many things that like are, you know, universally relatable in the book. But the what I've experienced is like totally amplified and heightened in this breakup is I think something that people who've gone through any breakup could relate to. But it is like, it's a, a catastrophic version of that thing that we've all experienced.
0: I don't know if it's a, it a great story because it's a terrible time for you. Why
2: am I like, this is great? No, the greatest stories are, are written from the worst times. You know, it was a really isolating time for me because I just felt like there was no one who could really understand fully. And so it, it was really like the only thing I could I could do. And it was like supernatural because that's like usually what I, I do turn to like writing when I'm going through something, mostly like something obsessive. And it was just like as obsessive as you can possibly get. I emotionally don't think I could have handled this situation worse privately, but it did really help me just because I felt alone and I didn't really know what else to do with all of the thoughts I was having in my head besides write them down so I could feel like maybe I could let some of them go at least to make room for like the new ones that were coming in.
0: Cassie and her ex are now friends again but even though this was a pretty public spectacle in her life her story is really about what happens when you blend an anxiety disorder with a breakup while being a person with a phone blasting new information at them all the time
2: but what happens when you put someone in today's world that like already has those issues and like kind of what happens when when they're in our current reality and I feel like that was what I wanted to give more context to
0: that's so interesting because like say I like I am someone who has social anxiety reading your essays I would just like oh no like I, I felt it and I was just like I can't I hope Cassie's having a good day.
2: (laughs) I feel like there's a um, version of this book that is more palatable when you go into it thinking of me kind of as a character rather than a real person. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that can be a little cringe when you're like reading about someone's, um, you know, mental struggles and you're kind of just like, ah, go to therapy. But when you read about them as kind of more of a character, like a fictional character, you feel... Like, it could be, it's funnier, you know.
0: This is, after all, exactly what Cassie's dad does on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Turning yourself into a character creates that distance where you can laugh. It's like that quote from comedian Steve Allen. Comedy is tragedy plus time. Have your folks read (laughs) it? My
2: dad is really able to read stuff that I write just, like, totally objectively, um, just as, like, a piece of work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know how he can compartmentalize it. I, when I watch Curb, like the second they like shut the lights off to get into bed, which happens like in almost every episode, mm-hmm. like out of the room. Like I don't, I might miss like huge parts of the plot that they discuss in bed. But who knows what they're doing? I just can't even. Yeah, my dad is is much more able to do that.
0: But now that there are new eyes or ears experiencing you and your essays how does that feel? Oh, it's just like total dread and sleepless nights. Um, But
2: I, you know, if it's again, like you, you know, you write what, I think this was a Toni Morrison quote, but you like write what you wish to have read. And Mm -hmm. like, this would have been something that for me, it would have like helped me a lot. Like, I don't know how many people there are are that are out there like me, probably like, I don't know, not that many, but like for depressed and secure girls, I've written this book and hopefully they will maybe feel a little less alone or seen in some way.
0: After the break, filmmaker Zoe Lister-Jones talks about another way of turning some of the darkest times, high school, into art. (laughs) Zoe Lister-Jones is an actress who's been seen on shows like New Girl and Life in Pieces. She also starred in, wrote, and directed the 2017 indie comedy Band-Aid about a married couple who turn their fights into songs in order to save their relationship. Zoe Lister-Jones projects this kind of cool, accessible confidence, but she'll always be a teenage weirdo at heart.
3: I had such a strong group of um, like weirdo women in high school that were like my, my like energy field, you know, like <laughs> that protected me and like every party because we were, so, you know, we were weirdos. Like we would just like, we'd show up, but we would find like a room that nobody was in and we'd like close the door and put like on like a, a
0: dance mix cassette tape.
3: <laughs> and we would just dance by ourselves. And that's all we needed.
0: And once you learn that Zoe had a strong group of weirdo friends, it makes total sense that she was drawn to the film The Craft, that cult classic 1996 film about a coven of goth high schoolers who have sleepovers and learn dark magic to reap revenge on everyone who has wronged them.
3: And and I think part of what the original craft did so beautifully was it it was a representation of of the other, you know, of weirdos. Mm-hmm. And... Um, weirdos stepping into their power, and that spoke to me so much as a teenager.
0: Although in the craft, all that dark power goes horribly awry. They may have killed a few people and turned on each other.
3: A lot of what we see in media when, especially teenage girls like, are coming into their power is that, especially in genre films, is that that power is too overwhelming, and it it ends up. You know, they end up becoming out of control, and um, and the power can turn on them and turn dangerous, and then they turn on each other. And I think I really wanted to subvert that message because there is no power too great for women. <laughs> you know, and when I when I say women, I of course am including trans women. Like there is no there is no power that we should feel. Um, intimidated by or that it's not our place to embody.
0: So when Zoe took on the challenge of writing and directing a sequel to The Craft, it's called The Craft Legacy, it just came out this year, she wanted to revisit the story in a new way.
3: Yeah, you know, in the first one, like the girls ended up sort of turning on each other. And yeah, I think uh, we needed a little update on on that message of, um, I think they're larger, more nefarious and pervasive systems at work that in community we can, as women, try to, you know, dismantle day by day.
0: (laughs) Like for example, in Zoe's version of the craft, the main character bleeds on her seat during class and the boys around her start to ridicule her. And that's the moment when the coven gathers around her and invites her in, which is like all the support I wish I had when I was trying to get my period under control. Because it shouldn't be something so mortifying and scary that's so common.
3: Well, I got my period in class in high school. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, actually, like, more than once. Like, I, like, like, did not understand how to harness my period. Um,
0: Yeah. A lot of, like, tying the sweatshirt around the waist. Yes. So.
3: So that, again, like, that was, like... That was not me just being like, this would be a cool, like, you know, homage to Carrie or whatever. It was like, I was still, I'm still working this shit out today,
0: you know, like. (laughs) I love that the true villain is patriarchy. You hit a lot of big ticket items of just like, (laughs) you got like menstruation, you've got bisexuality, you've got toxic masculinity. And like, how do you, how do you decide what to tackle and what to like put a pin in?
3: you know, the personal is political. (laughs) And so what in my own life um, has led me to where I am today, what traumas, you know, uh, need to be unpacked that also are, (laughs) that are like, you know, collective traumas uh, when we're talking about uh, women's experiences. But I think in the film, you know, I was, I was bullied. Um, I, I shaved my head when I was 12 years old. And I was very much, like, made fun of um, and felt, I guess, like, my... <laughs> I was thinking about this, like, actually this morning, which is just, like, a light early morning thought, which is, like, I've been humiliated by a lot of men throughout my life. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and and so um, without, like, vilifying men as a whole, just from my own personal experience as a woman, um, I guess I wanted to represent that and the pain that that causes at such a seminal moment in a young woman's life when you're coming into your sexuality and when you're coming into just um, your sense of self. There are so many traumatic experiences that tend to really... um, cause a lot of harm to mm-hmm. young women
0: there's this great quote in the film that's like oh, it's like you you shouldn't run from your power and in this film I
3: really want to like take that to the next level which is that your difference is your power
0: mm-hmm.
3: and and embracing one's of you know sense of otherness which especially in your adolescence is so present um, but then you know continues throughout our lives um, that that it's not something to hide from. It's something to step into.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: This episode was produced by B.A. Parker. Editorial support from Allison Behringer. This episode was engineered and scored by Brandon McFarland, who also did our theme music. Special thanks to Karinza Kadinas and Sankita Singh Kurtz, and Stella Bugvi and Nishat Kurwa are the show's executive producers. This show is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. You can read and support their work by going to thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Avery Truffleman. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.